Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin and welcome to another week from our state. We have a full show today. We are going to continue our series of interviews with Democratic candidates for the United States Senate. Mandela Barnes will join us later in the show. Uh, but we have a special guest panelist this week. Robert Craig is flying as we speak to the East Coast, and we are joined by Raphael Smith from Citizen Action here. Rafi, great to have you. Great to be here. What to do, everybody? Great to be All on right. the podcast. It's been a minute. It has been. It's been a little while, and I want to remind our listeners, Rafi's on another podcast we do here called This Is Not That. It's an excellent show. Hope you get a chance to listen to that. Uh, and uh, Rafi, appreciate you uh, joining us uh, this week. And as always, Claire Zauke is with us. Claire's our healthcare director at Citizen Action. Claire. Matt, it's good to be here. <laughs> Claire, it's great to have you. And we're going to we're going to get to a uh, discussion here about Build Back Better uh, before we're joined by Mandela Barnes. Um, if we have time, we'll get to a number of things that are happening here in the state. But uh, folks, we record Thursday morning. And as we are recording, President Biden is meeting with House Democrats about his Build Back Better plan, which we have talked about a lot on this show for obvious reasons. Uh, Robert has many times and Claire has also laid out just how historically important this is, um, how big it, it is, or shall we say was, and we'll talk more about this. It, it, is a, it has been pared down. Uh, President Biden is speaking with Democrats this morning about a package that's about 1.85 trillion. Uh, and let's remember the original was, was uh, over three, but let's not get tied up in, in quote the price tags um, Claire, I'm going to go to you for some details. Let's talk a little bit about what's actually in and, and, and also what's out. Some of the key things that uh, have been pared down potentially to see if we can't come to some kind of deal uh, on the Democratic side. Claire, I'm going to go to you to just give us uh, some of the key things. And, uh, and of course, there are some key things, particular around caregiving and other things related to work. Uh, Claire? Yeah, thanks, Matt. Um, I'll give a, a high level description of what's in this final framework that the president announced this morning as a recording. Um, this is Thursday morning for folks um, who, who don't know when we record. Uh, so more details might even be out by the time you uh, hear this podcast. So we're looking at a $1.85 trillion uh, package. You might see some numbers that say 1.75, not 1.85. It's just because for some reason in the president's um, framework, and, and I don't know why I haven't had enough time to look into it, there is a $100 billion for uh, immigration reform, largely to reduce a backlog of 9 million visas um, going through the process that is not being counted in some in some uh, calculations of the total package cost, but it's in the bill, the money is allocated there. Um, so that's, that's sort of the discrepancy. Um, so we're going to call it a $1.85 trillion package because I, I think that's the most descriptive um, and accurate number. So um, the very high level um, disappointment, I'm just gonna start there because it's where my head and my heart are at today, is that paid leave has been stripped from the framework. And we knew that the full 12 weeks of paid family medical 
leave that had been proposed uh, originally by the president and the um, Democratic leaders who were trying to write the bill um, was going to be pared down to about four weeks. And then we got the shocking rumor earlier this week and then news this morning uh, really caught me off guard um, that it might be stripped from the package altogether, largely over protests from Joe Manchin. Um, so that turned out to be true. There's no paid leave in this package. Uh, I, th I think that's devastating and, and shameful given that we are um, one of a, like literally I think they could count it on one hand number of countries in this world that don't provide that type of benefit. Um, other things that are out of the package that I find just truly shocking um, include any type of prescription drug um, negotiations, um, anything to lower costs beyond some just like minute, insignificant, hardly worth mentioning efforts around rebates. Um, there was some really strong polling and surveying, um, including from Harvard, that found that prescription drug price negotiations were the single, single thing out of all of the things in the plan that Americans wanted to pass the most. Um, and so the fact that that's taken out of the plan um, just shows how powerful uh, Big Pharma is and how much control they have over folks like Kirsten Cinema, who are just in their pocket. Um, so, so there's no um, prescription drug price negotiations in this. Um, also, uh, Medicare expansion to cover hearing, vision, and dental has been paired back to just uh, Medicare expansion to cover hearing. Um, that's also obviously a huge um, compromise and um, disappointment. I, I can't believe we're even talking about it because it, it just feels like it should be such an obvious thing to do, um, but, but here we are. Something surprising that's in is um, they say at least that there will be um, provisions addressing the uh, Medicaid coverage gap. Um, this has been a priority for especially this uh, a lot of southern states that haven't expanded. The the ten or so states um, in the south that haven't expanded have been pushing really really hard, led by Georgia, on this effort. Um, this is just the framework saying that it will be in there and there's money allocated to it. We have no idea what that policy design would look like or how it would affect Wisconsin if it would cover us. So um, a, a next advocacy phase for us is going to be trying to influence how that policy is actually drafted so that it covers Wisconsin, number one, and number two, does not incentivize Wisconsin's Republican legislature to roll back badger care from 100% of the federal poverty line eligibility to lower, thereby forcing people into the marketplace and onto this plan, which we don't know how, how good the quality will be. It's extending the child tax credit for um, another year and um, putting it is putting some more money into home and community-based services for caregiving and low-income uh, wages for low-income care workers. But again, we don't know what that's going to look like. This might be a kind of program like Medicaid expansion where the states have to apply to the federal government to get the money, in which case a second advocacy point for us will be pushing the legislature and the governor to apply for these funds. Um, there's also money for, um, like I said, immigration streamlining, streamlining affordable housing, um, reducing tax credits, universal um, pre-K for young children, um, and then money towards to ostensibly um, uh, $555 billion to fight uh, climate change. But uh, if Robert were here, he, I'm guessing he would tell you that um, the things that they're putting money towards are not the things that are needed. But unfortunately, he's not here today to tell us that. Um, but <laughs> I, I imagine we'll get a speech from him when he's back. Well, we don't have Robert, but we do have Rafi, and 
Rafi has certainly been uh, leading a fight around climate change. Rafael, I want to get your thoughts on this. Obviously, there is stuff in there on climate change, but this is stripped down. Uh, there were a number of things taken out around things like getting utilities, uh, get money to help utilities cut off from carbon fuel. Um, but look, this is... Um, this, we, we've known that there was likely going to be some form of compromise along here because of Mansion and Cinema. Rafi, want to get your thoughts um, today hearing this news. You're, you're not someone who we have on the show all the time. Your thoughts on uh, Build Back Better and, and where we're at this morning? I mean, to be honest with you, man, I, like, I've purposely like, kind of kept myself at arm's length through the whole process. I know. I'm 36 and I feel like a much older man through my political life because of, you know, situations like this. Um, same with, you know, us in like 2009, 2010, going through the whole ACA and and uh, uh, I don't like to call it no Obamacare, but Obamacare. And now we're here 10, 11 years later going through a, a similar scenario where it's this constant cutting uh, on dreams that were promised when people were running for office. And yeah, I, I think politics should be right in a, a utopian idea. And I know it's not utopian, but at least try to get close to as possible. The solution should match the scale and the need of the problem. And it's a lot of suffering going on out here. I, I was born and raised on the north side of Milwaukee and I see it every day. And I think for us to have two senators st standing away of trillions of dollars of resources and investment into communities, I think is a commentary on our current state of politics and the system overall. And then I just think about it as just from an organizing uh, perspective. This is what led to 2016 when you had an apathy and folks didn't show up to vote because you burn through turf like this. You get people hopes up, you have them all riled up and you tell them that they can actually believe in something and then situations like this come around and you have two senators just standing in their way and basically using almost authoritarian power uh, to like really shape our politics. It's, uh, it's extremely disappointing. Uh, well, you know, Robert has talked about this often and we discuss this. It's why we have been such strong supporters of changing election law, but this structure, this whole structure is, uh, is, is a relic. And, and the fact that we are dealing with these two senators, one from a very small you know, state like West Virginia and the other from Arizona, and they can hold up an entire agenda um, like this is very frustrating. Um, there is no doubt about it. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's, it's a reality of sort of our current political environment. And I, and I, and I do think uh, the key question here is, and Rafa, you were getting to this, is if there is an agreement coming out of here, and I think we'll talk more after the break, that remains to be determined um, that there will be any kind of deal that's cut today. Is this something that does dispirit uh, a lot of folks who uh, would be needed by Democrats in order to win next year uh, and Obviously, a defeat, a crushing defeat uh, for Democrats throughout Congress would lead to a diminished amount of excitement for folks to get out and vote. And that's definitely uh, in play here and a concern. Um, and it is unclear as we record as to whether this is even a deal that will be accepted by all sides. 
Uh, we'll talk more about that. But we got to go to a break. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking about Build Back Better. It has uh, been dominating our conversation now for at least a few months. It is a historic, hopefully historic opportunity here. And as we record this morning, uh, President Biden is meeting with uh, House Democrats to see if there could be an agreement on uh, a trimmed down package. We talked more about some of those details, but uh, in, in the first segment, but want to talk more about sort of the politics of this. Uh, Claire Rafi raised um, just, uh, you know, you could hear it in Rafi's voice, right? Just this is a, a, a letdown. You express that, Claire. Um, at the end of the day, though, if there is a deal, I would like to get your thoughts on where this does lead the Democrats politically, right? This is a, a, uh, a, a, a just a critical uh, piece of legislation for not only the Biden administration, but Democrats as a whole as they head into 2022, Claire. Yeah, I think that this makes uh, the leaves Democrats pretty vulnerable right now. I'm guessing that the things that are in there um, that they want us to focus on um, are things that were politically chosen. So um, I'm surprised with all the things that got taken out that the closing the Medicaid coverage gap is still in there. Uh, I think because it was a priority for uh, a lot of southern states that I'm guessing uh, Democrats are hoping will be battleground states or they um, like Georgia, for example, this was the top priority of the Georgia senators uh, led by uh, Senator Warnock. Uh, and those are folks who are going to be up for re-election soon. And uh, so, yeah, so I'm guessing that uh, like that's in there in, a, in an attempt to kind of get at those those states and the people in those states and, and protect the the all important uh, Georgia senators seats and, and to keep that um, a blue state in the midterms. Um, but of course, it's still, uh, you know, we're still missing out on the things that um, the, the biggest things that would affect the most people, right? Prescription drug reform and um, paid leave. So uh, I think the Democrats are going to be in, in a hard spot uh, because of, you know, the, I mean, look, this is this is an issue with the party as a whole, so we can't let the entire party off the hook. Um, but I, I also think it is okay to focus on the, you know, the couple folks who uh, really stymied a lot of progress here, right? I mean, you know, J Joe Manchin is being lifted up as like the person who personally killed paid leave in, in the reporting right now. So I don't know for sure that that's true, but that's what all the reputable reporting is saying. And it's really... Um, it's really a shame. Uh, I also think that this shows just how important organizing is because, you know, if we if we had just flipped like one, I keep thinking, gosh, if we had just flipped one more Senate seat, two more Senate seats, right? Um, if we'd if we'd been able to get a, a progressive to replace a, a corporate Democrat um, in just a couple more Senate seats or specific seats, we might be in in a whole different position right now. Um, so I think it shows how important organizing is and how important it is to elect actual true progressives who are going to stand by their word and what they campaign on. Um, Oh, I guess you could say like, you know, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema are doing what they said they were going to do. Well, Joe Manchin, <laughs> but, well, but like we, we, we got to like real progressives to these seats, right? Because otherwise we end up, 
uh, mired in in all this junk legislation that is a shame. There's no doubt about that. And we've certainly been talking about that on this show about the importance of 2022, particularly trying to improve the Senate. We'll obviously be talking more about that later in the show with our with our guest Mandela Barnes, right? A real opportunity in, in Wisconsin here and why we're gonna be such a critical point uh, nationally in the US Senate with the huge, huge opportunity to remove uh, Ron Johnson, certainly one of those seats. Um, but Rafi, wanna go back to you before we end this conversation, um, just because, you know, look, it's very clear cinema and mansion are the reason why this is happening. I mean. Claire, you mentioned uh, Joe uh, Manchin opposing the paid family leave. We've got cinema opposing some of the most popular uh, revenue uh, opportunities, you know, the billionaire tax. And we've had uh, her basically uh, being the bag lady for the uh, pharmaceutical companies, which also, as was mentioned, extraordinarily politically popular uh, situation. Rafi, uh, just your final thoughts on sort of the broader politics here uh, and where we're headed, uh, especially as it relates here in Wisconsin, right? Uh, since we do have a really important race next next cycle. Rafael? Yeah. So with the Build Back Better process, you know, we have, if you do it, just did a simple power analysis of the power that the grassroots have, I will say we have very little. I think that's been a situation, that's been the situation for it the least, I could say 40 years, but let's just say the last decade. And I think for us to really have any type of impact on the future of politics, you really got to get up our outside game, our organizing block by block, and getting folks to understand the issues and actually being mobilized around the issues. Because, you know, you can have internal power and we've been doing the internal strategy power for a long time now, and it's been giving us the same results. And we have lost a lot of mass power due to um, the the attack on unions, attack on working class people. Um, But I think it's time for us to rebuild that, get back out in the streets like we were last year, don't lose the momentum and exert power rather than respond to it. So that's how I feel. Claire? Yeah, I, I think Rafi um, hit the nail on the head, right? I, I, I'm just so sad and so angry. Uh, I mean, it is hard to be in this fight for an entire career and to get so close to something and then um, get a disappointment like this and I know that this is how the policymaking process works in this country, for better or worse. Well, for worse, obviously. Um, and, and I know that I shouldn't be surprised and expecting it and that I should rejoice a little bit in some of the good things that are in this package, because it is still a, you know, unfortunately for this country, a monumentally large package. Um, but it's it's hard and it makes it so if it's hard for us as people who do this professionally to stay motivated, imagine how hard it is for the regular folks of this country to stay motivated and to believe in democracy enough to be willing to participate in it. Um, it our work is our work is vital and um, we need we need to have our elected officials hold up their end of the bargain. because It's hard to keep working for them um, if. Uh, um, 
if this is the results, the fruit of our of the our labor of of supposedly their work as elected officials. Um, I'm trying to think of something positive to say so that it's in so doom and gloom. Well, look, I mean, let's just, we have been talking about this for a long time on the show and obviously people outside of the show, right? This has been just huge. Um, And we've sort of seen this coming with Mansion and Cinema. And I just, I think what has been laid bare in this process is what, it's connected to what you and Rafi just said. The power of, of on the ground and of people is limited, unfortunately. And we saw the power, we have seen the power of corporate America uh, through Senators Mansion and Cinema. And this is not a battle of left and right. If it was, we would not be talking about paid family leave pulled out. We would not be talking about vision and dental coverage for Medicare being pulled out. We would not be struggling on the revenue side because of a billionaire tax. These are things that are wildly popular. They're popular across partisan lines, across moderates, conservatives, progressives. So this isn't been a debate about left and right. It has been a debate about corporate power in this country and the power, that power that has been wielded and used for lots of negative things over the last uh, four years, empowering Trump. And so we're seeing it play out in the pollution of our, uh, our political process. And this debate has laid that bare. And we will find out, you know, again, as we record, we do not know if there will be a deal. Um, and I, I admit, I share the frustration. I, part of me, is super angry about this, but also understands that like this still is a significant amount. And do you want some as opposed to nothing? And, and, and certainly that is part of the balance that's being decided here. How much can you pressure to get as much as possible? Claire, it looks like you have some final thoughts. My final thought is this. I lost sight of the big process picture. This is just the framework that the president um, got to agree to with the folks who are holding up the process. It still needs to pass a congressional vote, and we still need to find out what these actual plans are going to look like. It is not certain that the progressives in the House, the congressive, uh, the Congressional Progressive Caucus, will vote for this bill. There still are points of advocacy in front of us, and we can't lose sight of that. There's a lot of this process left. That's an excellent point, Claire. Again, as we record, this has not been decided. In fact, there's a lot of early comments that appear, you know, progressives are not prepared to just, you know, accept a deal and, and want to look more at the details. So, look, folks, we're going to continue to track this and talk about this. It is a central part of uh, what is happening in our world. It's critically important, and it'll be really important in the upcoming United States Senate. Uh, race. Speaking of that, when we return, we will be joined by Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, who is running for the United States Senate. And uh, we'll be talking with him as part of our ongoing uh, interviews with candidates for the United States Senate. You are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are really fortunate to be joined by Mandela Barnes, Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, who is running for the United States Senate. Mandela, thanks for taking time to join us today and talk about why you have decided to run for the United States Senate. 
Hey, of course, Matt. I am excited to be back here. It has been far too long, and uh, now that things have uh, things have moved along, things have progressed. I'm excited to talk about this uh, next stage with you. Yeah, well, absolutely. We've we've had you on a lot in the past, uh, both when you were in the legislature, but also as lieutenant governor. Uh, but this is unique. Uh, tell us more. All right. Why did you decide like this is this is the time I need to run? Tell us more about why you're running and uh, uh, why this is so important. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've also uh, been on during my time as an organizer. So <laughs> kind of completing the, completing the circle here. Long, long history. Uh, but this race uh, for the U.S. Senate, uh, recognizing how critically important it is for the Senate, for Congress as a whole, for the federal government to deliver for the people of Wisconsin, for the United States of America, quite frankly, it's not happening. And I speak often about the fact that the Senate is broken. And many folks say it's by design, which is probably also true. The fact is, it is not a place that represents the American experience. It doesn't represent the American export, uh, the American struggle. It doesn't experience the quality of life that far too many people uh, are experiencing right now. It's a place with a lot of ultra wealthy and well-connected folks with, uh, with very little regard. And in order for us to meet the moment that we're in, in order for us to address uh, the flaws of the past, we need to make sure that the Senate is a more representative body. I mean, the same could be said about Congress as a whole, but you see the House of Representatives diversifying more and more, especially after the 2018 election where we elected the youngest members of Congress. We elected the most diverse Congress in this nation's history and also the most women to Congress in the nation's history. Uh, the Senate has yet to follow suit. And I've had a chance, you know, for those who know me, to travel the entire state, all 72 counties in my first year as lieutenant governor. And I'll rewind even a little bit further back, way further back, to where my story began, right here in the city of Milwaukee, uh, where I was born and raised. I was born in one of the most challenged communities in our entire state. And the reality that was my existence versus that of uh, many people I went to school with, many people I lived around was made different because of the opportunities that were afforded to me. I had two uh, union member, middle income earning parents who provided a quality of life for me that could have been a, considered a luxury for so many other people who were around me. And make no mistake, it was not a luxury. Uh, but the fact is, as I've been able to travel across Wisconsin, having conversations with people, especially in my role as Lieutenant Governor, uh, I have been able to preach the message, I, should, I, I would say. I've been able to draw those, those, those parallels and those direct comparisons between quality of life in a Milwaukee and quality of life in an Ashland, for an example. Everybody wants the same thing. People want to be able to go see a doctor if they get sick and not worry about a surprise bill. People want to be able to send their children to a good school. People want a good paying job that puts food on the table. And if you're working, you know, full time, there's no reason you should be struggling to pay rent. That's the unfortunate reality that folks have been dealt with. And then the climate crisis on top of everything, because that's a part of the reason I was able to get to all 72 counties doing storm damage tours working with county health officials about the addiction crisis that continues to ravage communities all across the state and so many other areas of concern. But we are dealing with the same exact things and folks are being left behind in Milwaukee, folks are being left behind in rural parts of the state. And unfortunately, a lot of Republican politicians benefit politically 
from pushing that urban rural divide narrative that does nothing but divides us and keep us all further from our goals. Yeah, it, it was good to hear you talk as a Milwaukeean first. I'll say it's good to hear uh, you talk about uh, supporting the people of Milwaukee and that being of interest to you. It's also uh, great for me to hear you talk about your interest in uh, affordable, high quality health care for all. And uh, as the healthcare director here, uh, I was hoping you could talk to us a little bit about your analysis and how we can reform the for profit healthcare system in this country, uh, especially keeping in mind um, how the for-profit healthcare system in this country has really perpetuated a ton of, of awful, devastating uh, racial health disparities that afflict uh, our hometown. And to that point, like people are afraid to go to a doctor because they don't know what's going to happen. Like not not about not not procedure wise, they're not sure you know what that bill is going to look like or how they're going to pay it. The level, the amount of uh, bankruptcies because of medical debt in this country is outrageous. The cost of prescription medicine is through the roof. We are one of two nations in this entire country that allow pharmaceutical companies to advertise directly to consumers. So there is, uh, we're, we're, this is an entirely flawed system. And even if you look at the vaccination rates, uh, there was a, a study that showed that the people across the board, political spectrum, region, whatever the case may be, the folks who weren't getting vaccines are people who didn't have health insurance. And the vaccines are free. But it's the idea of coming in contact with the healthcare system in one way or another is going to set a person back financially, makes people a little bit weary, excuse me, a little bit leery of uh, participating. But our goal is to ensure that every person has high quality, affordable health care. As you said, nobody should go bankrupt and nobody should have to think about their checkbook as they make life and death decisions about you know, themselves individually or or even or family members. And. Personally, I do support Medicare for all because healthcare is a right, it's not a privilege. And I've always stood arm in arm with groups like Citizen Action to do what we could at the state level to advance Badger Care. And I think people should have a choice, you know, however they want to uh, get their health insurance. But universal health care is the is the goal. That's where we have to get. And there are a lot of a lot of options out there. Well, actually, not a lot of options out there. The most comprehensive plan is obviously Medicare for all, open to whatever path gets us there the quickest to make sure that more folks are covered. And I know, uh, you know, folks of Citizen Action, we support every step that gets us there, including letting the government negotiate prescription drug prices, mandating that states like Wisconsin, where the Republicans in the legislature have decided to not expand Badger Care, that the feds step in and expand Medicaid programs, and also adding dental, vision, and hearing to existing Medicare plans. Now, uh, as of a couple hours ago, we hear that hearing is going to be a part of those plans, but we still are struggling when it comes to dental and vision. It's about making progress as quickly as possible because United States of America is being left behind when we should be providing an example to the rest of the world. We're not. Claire, just want to give you an opportunity for a quick follow up on healthcare before we go to Rafi. Thanks. Um, I, yeah, I'm really glad to hear you support all those things. Um, I'm glad that you're publicly saying that you support those things. Um, I think that's wonderful. Um, well, you know what? I do have, I do have one follow-up. Um, so something that we're thinking about on the, on the sort of like front, super progressive edge of um, healthcare policy reform is how do we support um, people who 
especially children um, of immigrants in this country who don't often have access to healthcare and are locked out of institutional um, supports like healthcare reforms. And so um, I wanted to pitch to you to also think when you're when you're analyzing, uh, like what kind of policies would you want to support and put forth to also be thinking about, um, you know, how do we how do we serve particularly whether documented or not documented um, immigrants and especially children of immigrants who might be locked out of the healthcare system even further in this country because they they can't have access to programs uh, like Medicaid because that, that's a whole other level of institutionalized um, health disparities um, in this country that that doesn't get get talked about. So it's not a question, but I want to I want to pitch that to you as something to, to think about in the future. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Raphael, how you doing to the governor? Great, great, great. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. So I wanted to talk to you about the Thrive Act. Right. And it's one of these big, bold bills. Um, but if you want to summarize what it would do is it would invest $1 trillion for 10 years by cutting greenhouse emissions in half by 2030 with the hopes of like creating 15 million jobs. It's huge. It's unprecedented. And, you know, we are going through multiple crises at the time where we got racial inequality, economic inequality and climate change and it seeks to address all those issues. My question to you is, would this be some a bill that you would be able to co-sponsor as senator, or would you co-sponsor this bill as senator? Of course, man. I mean, you know, my work on addressing the climate change is is one that uh, I, honestly, and, and it's not just me. So uh, there's there's so many amazing partners I've been able to uh, get together with on this issue. Citizen Action being among them, but so many other groups as well. Uh, that's I, I, I'm very proud of the climate leadership that we've exhibited at the state level. One of the reasons I'm running for U.S. Senate is because we need support at the federal level to make all of this a reality. We need to expand the majority so that climate change doesn't continue to get pushed to the back of the conversation. The climate crisis is ravaging the state of Wisconsin as it is much of the United States of America. And we have an opportunity to be bold. We have an opportunity to not just address the crisis, but to create good paying jobs in the process. The state of Wisconsin can be a leader. Once again, we can return back to our manufacturing roots. So it's a no brainer for me to support the most bold, comprehensive uh, plan to address uh, the climate crisis, because that's the work that I've been up to. Currently, the president is headed to uh, Europe for COP26. I was proud to participate in COP25 in Madrid. Uh, in 2019, discussing the role of states in the absence of support from the United States government in addressing the climate crisis. Uh, we don't have long to act, and we have to take advantage of every possible opportunity, Thrive Act being one of them, and something I certainly support. With that, we have got to take a break. Folks, you're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin, where citizen action. Welcome back. Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking with Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, who is running for the United States Senate. And as part of our, our uh, effort to talk to candidates running for the United States Senate, Lieutenant Governor, you had been talking about climate. It's a huge issue. It's something you care deeply about. Certainly uh, led the uh, governor's task force on this. Wanted to give you an opportunity, since we had to go to break, to elaborate any more on aspects of uh, climate that you see as central to your campaign. Absolutely. The issue of climate change, of the climate crisis, it's one that's obviously more than political. This is societal. This is about 
human survival. And it seems like that can be, those can be extreme terms, but it's the reality that we're dealing with. It's the reality that people have already experienced in so many parts of this state and also the entire country. But I think that the climate solutions and having served as the chair of the task force, uh, been able to broaden even my own perspective on the issue. And that's the type of leadership I wanna to bring to the US Senate. Uh, recognizing that there are opportunities for us to create good paying jobs. I often talk about, you know, my dad and, you know, his job assembling catalytic converters. And that was because that was a direct result of the EPA and the Clean Air Act requiring reduced vehicle emissions, which required cars to have catalytic converters to make that possible. This created manufacturing opportunities across the country for folks to gain entryway into the middle class. We are in a very similar moment. And honestly, at a much larger scale, if we address this uh, in a way that gives support to our farming communities, gives support to our former industrial uh, centers in Wisconsin and across the country, and also uh, even our food systems. You know, there is a good food crisis as well that we're dealing with, and we can connect our rural communities to our urban communities, the ones that oftentimes lack access to high quality, fresh, nutritious food, but also our farmers who have trouble sometimes competing in a system that gives so much support to these larger operations, we can close the gap and we can provide opportunity uh, to both communities. We can provide community, provide opportunities to the whole. So addressing climate change isn't just uh, specifically um, isn't just specifically, you know, protecting, uh, you know, our, our, our green space. This is about so much more. And I want people to think about it in that comprehensive way, because there is a there is a benefit to every community in this state if we take this seriously. And that's what we did with the task force. We brought together folks from different walks of life, people who've been unfortunately left behind in the conversation. Uh, and these are the most impacted communities, our tribal leaders, our environmental justice advocacy groups like Milwaukee Water Commons, and also youth climate activists who have been beating the drum louder than ever before on this issue because of the need for us uh, to implement real change. So I'm, I'm always leading with, with, with climate change because it's the work that I've uh, been the most involved in. Rafi, want to give you an opportunity for any follow-up on climate? Not necessarily a follow up on climate, but I do have a question because I'm interested because I will compare it to sports, you know, when you have to watch film. I know you've been probably uh, watching the Build Back Better process and seeing how everything went and what you would have done or could have done if you was in the, in the seat of power at this point in time, if you were a U.S. Senator. What is your thoughts on the process? What is producing for people, understanding the urgency of the need for folks in our community, especially on the north side of Milwaukee? Like, can you just give us your overall viewpoint and uh, what would you have done and what you would do in the future? I'll tell you, in a word, frustrating uh, watching this stuff play out. You know, we are in a once, I hope it's a once in a lifetime moment because the reason why all of this is on the table is because of the fact that we were in the depths of despair dealing with this pandemic and we have to have a, a real plan that addresses uh, the problem and the impact at the scale that it deserves. And unfortunately, there are some folks who choose not to understand. That's the whole thing. When I said the Senate is broken, we got people uh, who represent a minority of the people of the population, but unfortunately get to control the debate. It's, it's effectively 
a national gerrymander, if you want to look at it that way. And with the Senate being broken, the importance of us expanding the majority could not be more clear. That's why this race is so important, because we win this seat. That means that another voice in the in the caucus who may be resistant to addressing climate change, uh, a Senator Manchin as an example, that vote will be irrelevant if we win back this seat. And we can have true leadership on the climate crisis. We can have true leadership when it comes to addressing care infrastructure, paid leave. We can have true leadership when it comes to addressing the issue of lead laterals or even rural broadband expansion to the degree that we need to. You know, and, and recognizing too, you don't get everything, you know, the first time, but unfortunately, uh, we, we, we find ourselves in this trap of, of, of next time, next time, next time. And then we end up next time in ourselves into never, you know, and the fact that we are having this debate, I would much rather, you know, go back and forth in the majority in an expanded majority than to have to continue to bargain down with, uh, with, with bad faith Republicans or with, uh, with, with folks who don't, take these issues as seriously as they should because they are so insulated from the realities of millions of Americans. Claire. Thanks. Um, I want to shift gears ever so slightly to how we will pay for things like healthcare reform and the Thrive Act. And uh, as a self-described tax nerd, I like talking about these things. And as uh, a potential future U.S. Senator, I expect that you're going to have to as well. So let's just do it. Uh, one of the, the things that is um, going to be discussed in coming weeks, I'm sure, about Build Back Better is the revenue mechanism for it. And um, of course, um, it's a little bit watered down from what we had hoped. Um, so we support um, the uh, taxation of wealth um, of the ultra wealthy people of large corporations um, and have released several reports here about how the wealth of Wisconsin's, I think it's eight billionaires, have increased tremendously during the pandemic, profited off of the pandemic. So can you talk a little bit about if you've done any analysis around um, tax fairness and what you would support as a, as a U.S. Senator around uh, tax fairness. Absolutely. Um, the fact that billionaires have seen their wealth increase over the course of the pandemic is a, a sample of the reality of life in America. The level of inequality and the ease that it balloons is something that we should be ashamed of because we're still arguing about whether folks are going to have paid leave when you know, we're not even talking about an hour of work from these ultra wealthy billionaires that is effectively, you know, a, a, an entire salary for some folks, uh, an annual salary. And this, the plan to tax the 700 most wealthy individuals in this country was the clearest path to get us there. And unfortunately, somebody said that they didn't support it because it was divisive. And I, you know, on Twitter, I just said, you know, actually, this would be one of the most unifying things we could do as a country. Because when I travel to other parts of the state, you know, unfortunately, a lot of folks do end up voting for Republicans, because that's who they assume is going to have their backs. And they, they think that uh, tax cuts, whether they directly impact them, will lead to some sort of prosperity, even though we know uh, that to not be true. Uh, but the fact is, 
for folks outside in you know more rural parts of the state, uh, a lot of people, like I said, as they vote for Republicans, it's not always left and right; it's top and bottom, and that's the that, that that's what the dynamic is here. And as a society, as a people, uh, taxing billionaires isn't just politically popular; it's the moral thing to do. People who have earned these unimaginable uh, sums of wealth, who pretend as if they did this on their own, as if it didn't take working people to accumulate that wealth. You know, in the working people do not see the benefit of said wealth. And that's the problem that we're dealing with in America. And this, you know, paying, paying taxes on, 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 a, on a sum of wealth that most people in this country will never, ever come close to in a thousand lifetimes, in a million lifetimes, you know, is, is something that is a, it, it is a social and moral imperative. So before we let you go, um, wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, it's competitive primary. Uh, just tell us, you know, where you see the election going and why you see uh, yourself as a great chance to win. And then uh, let folks know if they want to get involved in your campaign, how they do that. And I, I'm going to get to that in one second. I just thought about one other thing, because with billionaire wealth, there are a whole bunch of people that made life great for a handful of people. Now it's time for those handful of people to return the favor to the many who made their quality of life possible, their unattainable quality of life possible. Now, you said it's a competitive primary. I would go to say that it is a contested primary. There are a lot of people running. I got a lot of friends who are in this race, people I have a lot of respect for, people I actually hang out with. So, you know, those things are always sort of uh, sort of weird. But... I, uh, I think it's a good thing, honestly. You know, a, a crowded primary is not a bad thing. Um, and my campaign team gets mad when I say that. But it's better for democracy because more options. It's better for folks to understand the process a little bit better. It's better for me as a Democrat and the party because there are more folks out there at any given time spreading the message, talking about the need for us uh, to take back this seat and also highlighting the flaws of, uh, of, uh, of the incumbent, of, of Republicans in general. But personally, I know that this is so much more than about how bad I think uh, the current senator is. Notice I do not say his name very often. Uh, this is about our values. This is about a vision for a better way of life in Wisconsin and all across this country. Uh, that includes healthcare. That includes addressing this climate crisis, good paying jobs, and protecting and preserving our democracy. Now, uh, we have been performing incredibly well, uh, polling 29 points ahead of the rest of the field, more uh, support than the rest of the field combined. I've earned the endorsements of over 100 elected officials across the state at every level of government. The only person to have a current sitting member of Congress who've been, who's endorsed with Congresswoman Gwen Moore, also been endorsed by Senator Elizabeth Warren, which has been, um, uh, I, I just gotten so much personal joy out of that endorsement because I'm ready to take on the big fights, to dream big, fight hard, tax the billionaires, do everything we need to do to help out everyday people. And then finally, the fundraising piece was able to set a new record in the state, uh, crossing the million dollar threshold with no personal resources. We raised one point, over $1.1 million with an average contribution of under 50 bucks. This shows a level of grassroots support that's currently unmatched. And that's just a start. We're just getting started, 
We're going to double down. We're going to build this thing out. We're going to build it up and we're going to take on whoever the Republican is in 2022. And we're going to build the largest grassroots coalition that this state has ever seen to get it done. Well, we really appreciate the fact that you're running. We appreciate that you took the time to join us today. And I want to let our listeners know we are we have announced this week we're going to be having a forum which will be a part of our endorsement process on November 16th. And we're thrilled that Mandela will be participating. But Mandela, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and tell us about your campaign. Uh, and of course, for uh, throwing your hat in and running for this critical race. Of course. Well, thank you, uh, Matt. Thank you, Claire. Thank you, Raphael. It's good to see everybody. Good to hang out. And looking forward to doing this in person. I'll see you on the 16th. All right, folks, with that, we got to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank Mandela Barnes for joining us. And again, remind you, Tuesday, November 16th, online, 6 p.m., we'll have links and details. U.S. Senate Candidate Forum. Come on, folks, come and listen. We'll see you all next week for Battleground Wisconsin. <laughs>